Coming up this week on AARP, The Perfect Scam. There was one site that where I think we saw 171,000 people registered to that site, and every one of those 171,000 people was there for some nefarious reason. I stole from people I knew, people I never met, and didn't care. I was a despicable person, man. Welcome back to this week's episode of AARP, the Perfect Scam podcast. I'm Will Johnson. I'm here with my co-host, the AARP's Fraud Watch Network Ambassador, Frank Abagnale. Frank, how are you? Great to be back, Will. Thanks. Frank, I've been thinking maybe there could be a sequel for Catch Me If You Can. You thought, really? Have you thought about this at all, or is it just me? <laughs> no, I haven't thought about it. But... You could do the other 40 years of your all life. Right. <laughs> right? I don't know who would play the role, but well, I guess Leo could come back. Right. Leonardo DiCaprio. Because our podcast is all about scams, we want to spend an episode talking about the dark web. The dark web is where cybercrime lives and flourishes, drugs, weapons, your social security number, you name it. AARP Fraud Watch Network expert Doug Shadell went on a tour of the dark web to see it firsthand. The dark web started back in the early 2000s. It was actually invented by the U.S. Navy who's trying to get some communication channel for their operatives overseas to communicate anonymously. And so they developed this software called the Onion Router, Tor, T-O-R, which is what you need to access the dark web. But early on, criminals started to see this, and being early adopters of that type of technology, they said, wait, we could communicate anonymously with each other? Let's try that. That's a good idea because we want to sell a lot of drugs. About 80% of the criminal activity on the dark web is drug trafficking. Every kind of drug you can imagine is for sale on the dark web. There is also the buying and selling of digital goods. This is your digital identity and my digital identity, Will. What is, what's a digital identity? Things like your social security number, personal information. To delve much deeper into the dark web, how it started, how it works, and how it got to where it is today, we went to the source, Brett Johnson. Many consider Brett the guy who made the dark web what it is today. These days, Brett's life is transformed. He's using his expertise for the good guys as a consultant with the FBI, the Secret Service, and private companies who are fighting cybercrime. I sat down with Brett and we chatted for 90 minutes or so, and I have to say it was a bit of a bizarre experience after talking to so many fraud victims over the course of many episodes of this show. But Brett has an incredible story, and he helps us get inside the mind of cyber criminals. The Secret Service once dubbed you the original Internet godfather, right? They did. I'm not proud of that title, but that's what they said. <laughs> <laughs> Brett knows probably as much or more about the dark web than than most people. Probably more about the dark web and online cybercrime than than most anyone. There may be some people that are still locked up that might know more than that. <laughs> we'll get to them eventually. Sure. Uh, and the reason being is that you uh, actually launched one of the first online stores, if I can call it that. Yeah, I uh, trafficking I, in, in bad stuff. Right. I built uh, the first online, the first organized cybercrime community. It was called Shadow Crew. It was the precursor to today's darknet markets, and it laid the foundation for the way that modern cybercrime channels still operate today. Brett Johnson grew up in eastern Kentucky. He describes his mom as the captain of the fraud industry where he grew up. She was into everything from stealing a 108,000-pound Caterpillar bulldozer to slipping and falling in a store and suing the owner. She was she was abusive. She was not, not I mean she could be physical, but it was it was more verbal, emotional, mental. 
she was negligent. She would leave me and my sister alone for days at a time. Mm. By this point, she had left dad, so <laughs> dad wasn't there. But uh, I'm 10. My sister's 9. My mom had been gone for a few days. We didn't have any food in the house. And I'm the kid that uh, was always scared that mom wasn't going to come back. You know, I'd stay, look, at, look out the window, walk out in the street, see if she's driving down the street coming home. So I was always scared and worried. Denise, year younger at 9, she, she was always the kid that just got mad. She was mad about it. So we're there for a few days. One day, Denise walks in the house. She's got this pack of pork chops with her. And I'm like, where'd you get those? And she's like, I stole them. And I'm like, show me how you did that. Brett says his life of crime started right then at age 10. Brett, his sister, and his mom all started shoplifting and stealing together. I don't want anyone out there to think that that I'm blaming my parent right. for my choices as an adult. Uh, they were my choices to break the law. Well, there's something to be said, though, about environment. And right. I, I appreciate what you're saying, but, uh, I mean, you certainly didn't have the best example. And you, <laughs> were, and you were operating to some extent, you know, without food. out. It, it was necessity. Right, right. Uh, so do you remember the first time you logged onto a computer? The first computer I had was a Texas Instruments TI-99-4A. Okay. I was uh, 11, I think is what I was at the time. And that was basically just a glorified video game machine is all it was. More importantly, the first time I got on the Internet was probably 94, 95. Yeah, that's a better question, right? right? You're finally right. connecting with the world uh, outside of eastern Kentucky. So I, I had been on computers and everything, and I was somewhat adept with that. One of Brett's first crimes was dyeing a gray beanie baby elephant the color blue in order to sell the coveted blue elephant on eBay for $1,500. He went on to sell baseballs with forged player signatures, and around 1996, he learned how to hack into small satellite systems and cable boxes, turning on channels for customers willing to pay him. In a way, Brett stumbled into the world of cybercrime. Stories like yours always beg the question, you're obviously a smart guy. You could have turned all this into uh, something legit. Yeah. Early on. I mean, you yeah. have now, but did, did that ever cross your mind or was it too easy? Uh, your mindset had been from a young age, you can get away with stuff. No, it, that mindset helps, but I got the worst part of my dad and my mom. Okay. All right. So I got the criminal mindset from my mom. My dad was this guy that uh, he just wanted my mom to love him. So she, he would put up with all this stuff. He would let her bring, he'd beg her not to bring men home, but she'd do it anyway. Um, he'd beg her not to abuse me and my sister, but she would do it anyway. But he let it go on, uh, just trying to not, not to lose her love. So as I got older, I got that was a type of mindset that I, I developed. I didn't want people to abandon me. I didn't want to, to lose the people that were important to me. So it, it, was, it was to the point that I got to the point where I, I didn't want to leave, leave them. I, just, I didn't want to go to work. I wanted to make sure I was there and help them all the time. Um, I was very very codependent person. <laughs> so, and that codependency like that, that, uh, that led into that. Um, and I got to the point where, I mean, yeah, I would rip people off and try to justify it. I was always justifying my crime. And you could live with whatever guilt might be associated with that, or there was, there was none. Initially there was none. Sure. So, uh, yeah, there was, there was no, no guilt at all because I was sitting there thinking, and, and what happens is when you're, when you're doing internet crime, there's that separation, so you you don't see the victim's face. You're just you're just looking at the information online, and you don't associate it with a person. And that helps that helped me anyway, to to break the law even more. So when does the dark web start? You so eventually you start one of the first online stores. Am I jumping ahead too far? No, not, not at all. So uh, the dark well, web did it exist? 
No. So, so cybercrime at that point in time. So, so I've been in it since cybercrime was a small crime, and then it turned into a business, and today it's its own economy. All right? So, uh, yeah, 1996 was when I was uh, selling pirated satellite cards. All right? Now, around 97 is when I, when I decided that I need to launder the money, and by doing that, I need a fake ID. So I have no idea where to get a fake ID. So what I do is, is I get online, look around – think I find a guy that supplies IDs. I send him my picture. I send him $200 and he rips me off. Okay. And I get upset. I get really upset. So I start looking around for anybody that can actually supply an ID. I can't find it. The closest I come to is a website called Counterfeit Library. And the only thing they sold were counterfeit degrees. That was it. But they had this forum on there and no one was using it. So I go on the forum, and the only thing I do is complain every single day about being ripped off by this fake ID supplier. So about the same time I'm there, these two other gentlemen show up. One of them is called Beelzebub. He's from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. The other guy is Mr. X from Los Angeles. And your name was eventually my, Gollum Fun? My name at that point was Gollum Fun. You came up with – and were you a Lord of the Rings fan? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah okay. I was a Lord of the Rings guy. Yeah. Who is Gollum, it? Gollum. Yeah. yeah, that's me. <laughs> so – I get, I, I'm complaining, and, and Beelzebub, he's talking about how he can make IDs. So one day he messages me on ICQ. It's a messaging service. And he was like, Gollum, he said, I can make an ID for you. And I'm like, you can? He's like, yeah. And I was like, well, make one and send it to me. He's like, look, I can give it to you free. He said, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to charge you $200. And he said, I'm going to do that because you, if you're going to be in this business online, you have to trust people. And I'm, it gets me so bad, I'm like, you know what? Because by this point, I'm already friends with the people who run the website. And I'm like, I'll tell you what. I'll send you $200 just so I can get you kicked off this forum when you rip me off. So I send him $200, send him my picture. Two weeks later, two weeks later, I get this Indiana ID in the name of Stephen Schweck is the name. What Beelzebub does is, since he wants to sell IDs, he gets this idea that he'll make me, he wants me to be the reviewer of every single product or service that comes on that forum. Now, by this point, I've become friends with the people who own the website, and I've asked them, can I control the forum? And they're like, yes, you can have it. So I took over the forum. Beelzebub wants me to review every single product, and he says, you need to do this so you understand how these products work. You can ask questions. You get to see everything that comes in, and you can learn how to do it. And I'm like, that's a good idea. Let's do that. So I started doing that, and we simply word of mouth, because there was no other site like that on the planet. I was going to ask. It seemed like... It, that was the first place, and they, they came flocking in. And you're just reviewing products just that reviewing people are products. putting on the site. So if someone's got a fake ID, I have them send me a fake ID. And is everything fake or bad, or is there any like legitimate commerce going on? Legitimate commerce, how? Like a T-shirt, like or hey, oh I've no, got, no, I've no, got no. a weed whacker to sell. No, it was no, all, it was like, all, it was all illegal goods. So if someone had, uh, if someone was offering uh, counterfeit checks, they would have to send me some checks in order to be able to sell on the forum. Uh, right. Same thing for fake IDs or credit cards or anything else like that. Eventually, Brett partnered with a group of Ukrainians running a website called Carter Planet. They'd stolen credit card numbers, and Brett knew how to cash them out. So uh, he partners with us. We turn over, to, we, we, from there we uh, transition over to Shadow Crew, and Shadow Crew is basically the, the forerunner of today's darknet market. Brett went on to run the site for three years, adding up 4,000 members. A member that knew what he was doing could profit thirty to $40,000 a month 
just running stolen credit cards, buying a product, cashing it out. They eventually figured out how to encode the magnetic strip on fake credit cards that they then used to get cash out of ATMs. This brought in a lot more money. We started stealing instead of thirty to forty thousand a month. It was thirty to forty thousand a day. You could only get out so much money from an ATM, though, right? So right. you'd go to a couple different ones. Yeah, you'd ma- you'd you'd literally map Max. a route of ATMs out. Let me uh, ask: When did things go from these ATM trips to all of a sudden, or maybe not all of a sudden, maybe over time? It's not just credit card numbers, but there's guns and drugs. The the rules that I had on Shadow Crew. There were three rules, and those rules were no counterfeit currencies, no drugs, no child pornography. Yeah. And we, we never dealt in child pornography at all. Um, guns started making appearance because we had a guy that worked at, uh, that was Glock or Beretta. He, w- he worked at one of the factories, and he was able to get guns out that did not have serial numbers on them. And he was selling them for 2000 a pop at that point. So we started offering that drugs what happened was my my second in charge he always wanted drugs to be introduced so the last year of shadow crew the first thing we allowed in was ecstasy being sold so we had people that that would buy 40,000 tablets of this stuff Um, once ecstasy was in there we had people that were selling pot uh, marijuana and then finally was the uh, the oxycontin As time goes by, Brett starts noticing law enforcement sniffing around on the site. To try and lose the scent, Brett decides to take a break from the dark web and his illegal online activities. But that doesn't stop him from pursuing other money-making opportunities, masterminding a new scam that exists to this day. I guess you could say I'm the SOB that created this thing called income tax identity theft. Hmm. Sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. So the reason that uh, if you look at today... People filing tax returns before you're able to by stealing your identity. I'm that guy. I'm the guy that started that. And the way it started, it started by filing on dead people. We had access to the California State Death Index, and we started filing income taxes on the dead people because a lot of the times the U.S. government, the federal government, doesn't know those people are dead. So you can file taxes on them. Uh, We started doing that. From there, it transitioned over into actually filing income tax returns on living people. And then today, um, today you have to have the W-2 and or the tax transcript and things like that. So that's 2003. I'm doing that. I'm stealing. At one point, I was stealing 160000 a week. And you're putting all this money under your mattress? <laughs> I'm putting all this money initially in backpacks. You were. So, okay, so yeah. one of those Jan Sport backpacks you see kids carrying back and forth to classes all the time, yeah. that will hold $150,000 in 20s. Okay. I already know that's exactly go. what it holds. Yeah. All right. And I had this. I did not I would, know that. I got to the point I could file a tax return every six minutes. I'd file tax returns from Sunday through Wednesday for eight hours a day, 200 tax returns a week. So out of those 200, 80% would fund. On Thursday, I'd take a road trip, plot out a course of ATMs. Friday morning, or actually Saturday morning at, uh, at about uh, 2 a.m., I'd start cashing out at ATM machines. And, and that weekend, I'd pull nothing but 20s out of the ATM machines. Come back on Sunday, start back again. The, the money would go in a, a backpack initially, and I had this I had this ranch style house in Charleston, South Carolina, and I'd take the backpack and I'd chuck it in the spare bedroom. And I had this this this, this room full of backpacks. Each backpack had hundred fifty thousand. And it got to the point that uh, one day I woke up and I was like, I have to launder this money. <laughs> and 
we 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 didn't know how to launder funds starting out, so we had to learn that. And I, at one point, I had bank accounts in the United States under fake names, so bank accounts in the U.S. and Canada and Mexico down in the Caymans, and finally everything bounced around until it got to Estonia, and that's that was my final resting point right there, um, with the idea that maybe with enough bounces, it starts to look legitimate as you transfer funds over. Brett's decision to take a break from the dark web and focus on income tax scams keeps him out of a major bust. On October 26, 2004, the U.S. Secret Service arrested 33 people in six countries in six hours. Brett was the only one who got away, but not for long. In 2005, the law catches up with him. What happened was, is I was in Charleston, South Carolina. I was picking up uh, some diamonds from a UPS delivery for a COD order, cash on delivery. Gave, uh, I met the driver at the drop address, Told him me, uh, I told him my name. He said, I've got the package for you. He hands me the package. I hand him the check for, I think it was $23,000. And I turn around, and there's the FBI and the Charleston, uh, South Carolina Police Department with guns drawn looking at me. While Brett's sitting in county jail, he gets a visit from the Secret Service. They cut him a deal. In a few months, he's out and showing the good guys the inner workings of the dark web. Same night I get out, I've got $30 left. I go to... Uh, as soon as the Secret Service leaves me, I walk out of the hotel room, walk over to Walmart, buy a prepaid debit card so I can start back in tax fraud again. I worked for the Secret Service for 10 months, and during that 10 months, I broke the law every single day. Brett gets thrown back in jail. But he's out again in no time and breaking the law. He heads to Vegas, then to Orlando, Disney World, where he tries to blend in, visiting the parks almost every day. But he's captured again, thrown back in jail, sentenced to 76 months. White-collar criminals, they, they initially send those people, if they don't have a criminal history, they send people like me to a, a federal camp, which is a low security. Uh, you're allowed to work outside of the actual prison compound and everything. I got a job outside of the compound and lasted for six weeks and then one day walked off. I had some, uh, some associates of mine drop off a package with cash and a cell phone and an ID and left, um, made it about 300 miles away. Meanwhile, the U.S. Marshals are canvassing the entire area, and I'm waiting on some Ukrainians that I knew to deliver more money to me. They never did, and uh, uh, I get caught. And at this time, I'm sent to Texas. Were you doing, like, the whole disguises and everything? Oh, I had dyed – you see me now. I mean, I had dyed my hair this flaming red. I had this big red bushy goatee and everything else. And, uh, yeah, I didn't look like me at all at that point. But but, they they uh, found you. They did. They did. So Brett's back in jail, and amazingly, his dad – who you might remember early on was not in his life, shows up. And my dad comes to visit at a, uh, at a county jail they were holding me at. They, the county jail had a uh, visitation for 10 minutes. And he asked me, he's like, can I do anything for you? And I'm like, uh, you can tell my sister I settle over. So he calls Denise up, and Denise says, I'm in Kentucky. And Denise is in North Carolina, seven and a half hours away. And he tells her that, and Denise, pregnant, gets in the car and drives seven and a half hours to come see me for 10 minutes to tell me she loves me. And uh, right after that, I'm sent to uh, spend eight months in solitary confinement. And I'm sent out to Texas to a prison, and I don't see her again for five years. And uh, it took two and a half years of that to, uh, to get to the point where I understood that the reason I was in prison and uh, it wasn't because I had was doing it to help people is because I chose to break the law. Just doing soul searching on your own? Yeah, you get to, to, most people, they get to the point, um, 
because prison is extremely boring as well. When you're not in extreme violence, you're just you've got time to do nothing but think. So um, you get to the point where you either you either you either accept what you've done, or you just get mad and blame it on somebody. And I was fortunate enough to uh, to accept what I had done. So I got out. Uh, I got out in 2011, and no taste of breaking the law at all. But uh, when you're released from prison, you um, you're released with the same tools you go in with. So I was under three years probation and could not touch a computer. So um, the only job I was able to get was pushing a, a manual lawnmower. And I was happy doing that. I was making $400 a week doing that. And I, I, was, I, was, I was good. I was in a great. And uh, lawn season ended. In the meantime, Brett met Michelle and got married. But out of work again, he goes back to what he does best. Michelle's the only one working. She's the only one bringing money in. I'm like, I, I got to do something. I got to do something. I got to, you know, I got to be worthy of this. So I get online, buy stolen credit cards, and start ordering food. And I get caught. And I go back to prison for 10 months. And Michelle, she, uh, she stood by me. She, uh, she never, <laughs> excuse me. She, uh. She never questioned it, never uh, never hesitated. She was just right there. Something about that last stint in prison seemed to do the trick, or more importantly, having someone on the outside like Michelle who didn't give up on him. He gets out determined to do things the right way. So I got on LinkedIn of all places. One of the big cybercrime cops, uh, he was involved in most cybercrime busts from dating back to when I was committing the crime to current to today out of Pittsburgh. Um, I message him on LinkedIn. I'm like, hey, I, I respect every single thing you've done. I, th- I think you've done a great job. Real, really respect you. And by the way, I would, uh, I'd like to do things legal. And the guy, he believed me. Brett gets the introduction he needs to start a new life. He starts consulting with law enforcement and companies and sharing all he knows about the dark web. That's where he is today, exposing the secrets of a small online community that he helped grow into the massive dark web that it is today. Give you an idea of how much it's grown since I committed it. When Shadow Crew was shut down, we ended with 4,000 members. Last year, July 5th, a website called Alpha Bay on the dark web was shut down. When it was shut down, they had 240,000 members for just one website. And when you think about the guy who uh, early on starting out online, you said, you, you know, you, you made that first fraudulent sale of a beanie baby that you dyed blue. Is that a different guy than the one I'm looking at today? No, I don't think it's a different guy. Um, I, I'm not I'm not that guy that's going to say that I'm different. I, I'm still that guy. Um, I think the difference is, is that I, I just, um, I understand that I that I was hurting that person. I, didn't, I don't think I cared back then. But um, I've been fortunate enough to uh, been given the opportunity to see that you know my actions do affect others that uh, you know I did a lot of harm I stole I stole from people I knew people I'd never met and didn't care um, I think looking back on that it's just uh, I was a despicable person then and I, I, I I'm not saying I'm a good person now but I'm a better person and um, I'm just trying to uh, I'll, I'll never be able to make amends for that but I'll be able to, I think that from this point on, I can make sure that my future decisions are, are ones that help instead of hurt.
And I'm back with the AARP Fraud Watch Network Ambassador Frank Abagnale. Uh, so a lot of scams and frauds would not be as successful as they are without the lists of people and their phone numbers and their credit cards and everything else. Certainly. Unless all Selling data. Existed. As I always remind people, money, uh, money comes in two forms, in the form of currency and in the forms of data. So data is money. And basically, they're selling data on the dark web, and they're selling information on the dark web. Same thing that the chat room did, only it was just a scroll, like an adding machine piece of tape going by on the screen with data on it. Now it's just much more sophisticated. So let me ask, as a word of advice for our listeners, if your credit card is stolen or your debit card, whatever it may be, your bank account number, and you're worried about, oh, this is getting sold now on the dark web, what can we do? Well, you know, my philosophy that I've mentioned and written about many times is I don't have a debit card. I only use a credit card, not credit debit, just a credit card, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover Card. Every day of my life, I literally spend the credit card company's money. I don't spend my money. My money sits in a money market account. It earns interest. Nobody knows where it is because it's never exposed to anybody. Uh, I go to the grocery store. I use my credit card. I go the, to the cleaners. I use my credit card. I get on the airplane to come this morning. I use my credit card. Now, I will do everything in my power to protect my number. But if someone gets my number tomorrow and charges $1 million on my credit card, by federal law, my liability is zero. Um, and when I use my credit card and I pay the bill or part of the bill that's due, my credit score goes up. So I bill my credit score. When you have a debit card and you use a debit card, once it gets exposed, they're stealing your money out of your bank account. And you could use that debit card for the next 20 years, 10 times a day, and you will not raise your credit score by so much as an inch. It'll stay the same. So uh, I only use a credit card. If I buy something online and they don't deliver it, I'm protected. If I buy something online that's broken, they won't take it back, I'm protected. If I go online and the host site is fictitious and I order something and I never get it, I'm protected. So I always tell people I'm not too concerned about my credit card being on the dark web because the truth is I have no liability for that card. As long as I report to the credit card company that that was not me who made those charges, Within the 30 days of receipt of my statement, I have no liability for those cards. So what about cash? Do you get cash out? I ask my bank only for what is called an ATM card. I do not want it with a Visa, MasterCard logo. I do not want it to say debit, They used to have these. I think it was like the first. And they still do. So I say to my bank, I only want an ATM card. All right. So use a credit card or take Frank's suggestion, get an ATM card to get cash out. Right. And even if, uh, to be honest with you, if I was traveling and as I do, I just came back from overseas... Uh, and I want to get cash out of a machine, I'll use my Visa card or MasterCard. Uh, They do charge me a fee, but the fee to me is cheap insurance that no one's actually getting access to my bank account. They're only getting access to Visa's account. So someone who has been uh, deeply affected by your words and advice is Jen Beam, who manages our Facebook page, the Fraud Watch Network Facebook page. And uh, she has actually altered her shopping schedule and the way that she gets she gets cash out, basically. So she, she she's very careful, but due to your words. Uh, and, and she's going to join us right now. Jen, thanks for being here once again. Hi, Will. Thanks for having me. What a segment we have planned with you. This is a Jen Beam tell-all. Oh, it is. Jen Beam got scammed. I did. I can't believe it. I manage the Facebook page for Fraud Watch Network. I see scams every single day. And I got scammed. It can happen to anyone, anytime, anywhere. So tell us what happened. Okay. So 
because I work so much on fraud issues, I have uh, quite a habit. I check my credit card statements regularly. And I also have credit freezes on my uh, accounts, the credit bureaus. And I'm just, I think I'm doing everything right. And I was checking my credit card statement uh, one morning and I saw two monthly charges for TransUnion credit monitoring. And these two charges were $19.95 a piece. And I just saw red. I just got super mad because what I thought was TransUnion was starting to charge for their, they double charged me for their credit monitoring. Yeah. So I just suspected that they were being kind of shady with me. So I just got very emotional and I just didn't think through. So what I did was I called the 800 number that was listed on the charge on my credit card statement. There I was verifying my personal information to the nice woman on the phone. I actually kind of made a noise. I was like, ah, I hung up the phone on her and then I immediately called the credit card company, which is what I should have done in the first place. Jen Beam manages the Fraud Watch Network Facebook page. And uh, Jen, where can people learn more? Please come and follow me at facebook.com slash fraudwatchnetwork. All right. Thanks once again. Thanks to my co-host, the Fraud Watch Network ambassador, Frank Abagnale. Great being here, Will. Thanks for having me. For more information and resources on how to protect yourself or a loved one from becoming a victim of a scam, visit AARP's Fraud Watch Network website, aarp.org slash fraudwatchnetwork. Thanks to my team of scam busters, Julie Getz, Brooke Ellis, audio engineer Steve Bartlett, and audio mastering done by Julio Gonzalez. For AARP The Perfect Scam, I'm Will Johnson. Are you 55 plus? There are many ways your community could use your help. As an AmeriCorps Seniors Volunteer, you can put your skills to work for the causes you care about, whether that's by becoming a companion for an older adult or a foster grandparent for a child, tutoring students, joining a disaster response effort, or fulfilling another interest. Choose how, where, and when you want to volunteer, starting at just a few hours a month. This is your moment to make a positive impact on your community and get back so much more in return. Visit AmeriCorps.gov slash your moment today. 